0: I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. The topic of this show requires little introduction. It's one of the supercharged sectors that I've called the land of milk and honey, a sector where demand is strong and has been throughout the pandemic and where there's still room to grow. On this episode, multifamily residential, perhaps the hottest sector around. When you think about going forward, 2022 is going to be the best year we've ever had. That's Rick Campo, the chairman and CEO of Camden Property Trust, a pioneer in the multifamily REIT space. The Houston-based company he took public almost 30 years ago is now a buyer, builder, and manager which holds more than 60,000 apartments in 10 states with a current market cap of 21 billion dollars.
1: The flame is white hot.
0: Every metric you look at in multifamily seems to be breaking a new record. And that's Matt Vance, a senior economist at CBRE and America's head of multifamily research. Matt leads our data-driven insights platform and also works with CBRE's Econometric Advisors team. We'll look at the numbers to set the stage and talk about where the trends are most evident in specific markets and market types, urban versus suburban, And how the distinction may be fading. We'll look within the sector too, comparing multifamily to the emergence of single family residential development, as well as purpose built properties, subdivisions, retrofits, and more. And we'll discuss a big question for investors is now the time to put the shovel in the ground? Coming up, we dig into multifamily residential. That's right now on the weekly take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and this week we're going to be talking about maybe the hottest sector within real estate, which is multifamily. And to join us for this show, we are honored to have with us Rick Campo, the chairman and CEO of Camden Living, one of the largest publicly traded REITs in the multifamily sector. Rick, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Vince. Uh, Glad to be here. Glad you are here. And my longtime friend and colleague, Matt Vance, America's Head of Multifamily Research for CBRE. Matt, thanks for joining.
1: Absolutely. Great to be here. I am deep in the data, Spence, and uh, it is a fascinating time to be poring over the details of multifamily.
0: Well, that's great, Matt. The numbers are so strong right now that it seems like it, the story tells itself, but there are numbers behind that. So give us a very brief overview of, am I right? Is it that good right now in multifamily?
1: It is. The flame is white hot. Uh, Every metric you look at in multifamily seems to be breaking a new record last year. That's the most recent data we've got. Of course, monthly data is trickling in this year, but uh, almost 14 percent rent growth nationally last year. uh, Sub three percent vacancies across many, many markets nationally, two and a half percent vacant. That is driving uh, that rent growth. And it's it's caught, obviously, the attention of a global wall of capital, very, very interested in multifamily. And it's why we're seeing uh, records being set for investment volumes uh, across the country and, and nationally, uh, cap rates that have compressed further than they ever have. Uh, uh, pricing, fundamentals, everything just incredibly strong. You're absolutely right.
0: So Rick, uh, would you agree with that assessment?
2: I would. Uh, if you look at our portfolio, we're growing rents Uh, at at faster than the national average because of where we are. We primarily are in the Sunbelt and those are some of the hottest markets in America. Uh, 2022 will be the best year that Camden has had in the last 29 years from a revenue perspective and also a net operating income growth perspective.
0: Well, let's talk about these markets for a second, Rick, because I was taking a look at your in- investor guide and I just kind of saw where your assets were in those what we might call the smile states. But starting further south, the smile states used to go all the way up to northern California and New York. You don't. You really start sort of in the southeast and then loop around to Texas. Have you always been in those markets or was that a change that happened in the last decade or so as demographics changed? We love our markets. Uh, we,
2: we tend to be in pro-business environments with good population growth and employment growth because that's what ultimately drives multifamily demand.
0: So, Matt, let's now talk about that for a moment. Uh, you know, the Smile States south of um, uh, maybe D.C. and south of uh, San Francisco. Do you see that continuing? And how do we see those markets that are above it, the traditional big six? I'll tell you we we do see that momentum
1: carrying into the near term for and medium and long term for those uh, sunbelt and smile states. If you look at the the outlook for job growth and job creation and population growth, it absolutely favors Texas first and the rest of the sunbelt not far behind. So, you know, Houston number 2 for total jobs added between now and 2030 according to our friends at Oxford Economics, Dallas right behind, but Atlanta, Phoenix and others right in that top tier. So, Absolutely incredible demand drivers pushing multifamily fundamentals uh, in those states. However, the coasts and those sexy six, as Rick referred to them earlier, uh, they are not to be forgotten. In fact, when you look at our outlook, our forecast for value growth in multifamily assets, it is actually the coasts that are favored uh, pretty heavily. They rival their strong Sunbelt counterparts uh, for the outlook over the next five years. And I'll tell you why. Number one. They were hit the hardest during the pandemic, all right? And I'm sure we'll get into that. So there's more to recover from, all right? And number two, uh, they have recovered in many ways, all right? And so rent growth in the Bay Area, still below pre-crisis levels, but has recovered in Boston, more than recovered in New York, all right? And what's driving that is the fact that all of these markets have now Uh, recovered from an occupancy standpoint. Demand has flooded back into these urban, dense, expensive coastal markets, uh, and the rent growth is is to follow. That's what we expect.
2: Well, the interesting thing about our portfolio, as Matt just said, uh, the coastal markets went down big time, like big rent declines. We didn't see that in the Sunbelt markets. Our revenues were actually up in 2020, not down. Right, And and so the occupancy levels that we have now, the fact that our rents didn't drop, the rent growth that we're getting now is just pretty amazing. And I think that when you think about going forward, 2022 is going to be the best year we've ever had. Uh, But if you look at historic uh, recessions and then snapbacks from recessions, Uh, Usually you have two or three years after the bottom of the recession where you have above normal growth. And 2022 is going to be way above normal. Uh, We think that it will start moderating. I don't think you can have 14 to 20% increases in rents, you know, for multiple years. Uh, You just haven't seen that over the cycles that we've been through. Uh, But you'll be above trend over the next couple of years because of strong job growth and just the economy overall.
0: Let's talk about product type. Pre-COVID, we had seen the the B asset class within multifamily actually outperforming the A asset class, uh, partially because you can put CapEx in and, and be able to drive rent. What are we seeing today? If you were to break it down by type of multifamily, what's performing the best and what's lagging?
1: Well, as I said before, those densest markets were hit the hardest. That's true both between markets But it's also true within market, right? The the urban submarkets, particularly downtowns, were hit the hardest. And so uh, in terms of the geography of performance, suburban assets went largely unaffected by the pandemic. And so we expect, and we're seeing play out, a very strong bounce back in these urban uh, high-rise type assets. Uh, We're also uh, seeing the same thing play out across classes of assets, as you said, Spence, The Class A, the expensive product, the properties that are the best locations with live, work, play elements, uh, they were hit the hardest when live and and work and play were disrupted during the pandemic. And so uh, over the near term, we expect to see some very strong performance out of those higher quality assets in those higher quality, I'll call them, uh, but denser locations where, uh, again, they have more to recover from. That's near term. Long term, we think there is absolutely a very compelling uh, story for both suburban and urban uh, multifamily across all asset classes. We know there's tremendous demand uh, for lower cost living, not just geographically in the country, but also uh, lower on the quality spectrum for for lower uh, quality or or workforce uh, type housing.
2: When you look at our portfolio, for example, we're 64% Class B uh, and 60% suburban and 40% urban, and then that would be 36% if you uh, on high-end urban properties. And so right now, because of where we're located, both are just on fire. I mean, we, we didn't see the same kind of uh, urban weakness during the pandemic, and as a matter of fact, there's an interesting property that we're releasing up in downtown Houston, a 22-story uh, tower in downtown Houston, even though during the pandemic, uh, Houston had maybe 10% to 20% of the people going to the office once they restarted. We leased up a 22 story building at, at a very fast rate. So people were actually moving into the urban core in the Sunbelt cities when they were leaving the urban core in New York and San Francisco. That's interesting. Somebody just asked me, right, is the return
1: to office? going to drive demand for downtown and urban multifamily. And I had to tell him it's the other way around. The demand for these urban locations is exceptional today. And it's that very fact that the office occupiers are gonna rely on as they start to think about calling their people back to the office.
0: Well, you know, I'm not gonna be contrarian just to be contrarian here, but I'm gonna just state when I analyze real estate, I always look at all the asset classes together because I, you see tea leaves in them that will impact yours. And the statistic that I always use is office using job growth is the most important statistic in real estate because it has a multiplier effect. And one of those multiplier effects is on multifamily demand. So a back of the napkin way of looking at it is for every six office using jobs, you have demand for one more multifamily unit. And then you have demand for two more retail jobs, eight more hotel nights, things like that. So, Rick, is that still true or you think that that has been disproven? by what you're seeing today in uh, urban markets?
2: I'm not sure it's true, and I think it'll play out over time. And let me give you a reason why I think that's the case, because, you know, the the five-day-a-week office job is dead. I don't think it'll ever come back. And just based on my own experience at Camden, we're, we're working on Flex Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I bet half the people that are supposed to come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday don't come in. Uh, the other day, my computer broke, and I called the guy, my tech guy who always fixes it for me in Houston, and he calls me back and he said, I, I told him to come down, and he calls me back and said, I moved to North Carolina like a month ago. But I can fix your computer, and he went online and and got in into my system and fixed it. And so, I think the work from home, the fact that people can telecommute and uh, do these Zoom calls and things like that, is going to really affect where people are. Now, you, when you get down to it, people always need a home; they need a place to live, but they don't necessarily need to be in an office today.
0: Let's let's be a little bit more specific on the where. Okay, we've now talked about urban versus suburban. We've talked about the smile states starting in the South. But I see a, a major trend in office, once again, as it relates to what we would call CBD office, with which what our client at Highwoods Properties calls BBD office, better business district office. And I think that's because multifamily is now in these BBDs. It's in these places that our live, work, play. Matt, do you agree with that? I do
1: Yeah, we're seeing it uh, from our office
0: leasing folks
1: uh, and and where the activity is. It it is very much downtown, but it's also very much in the BBDs, those dense uh, live-work-play or denser live-work-play environments
2: surrounding the city as well. Yeah, If you think about uh, the development that we've done over the years, uh, when we think about a site for multifamily, whether it be suburban or urban, and not necessarily CBD urban, but, but BB or urban, right? Uh, we look for w- where's the job growth, where, where are people working, uh, where's the live, you know, work play scenario workout. And so I think that generally speaking, uh, you're not going to see a massive shift in those markets. Uh, and the other challenge you have is right now we're 97% occupied in all this product, right? So if including urban. So you have to build a lot in, in the suburban areas, if you really think you're, that you're gonna have to, that people are gonna move there because there's no place to go and they're full.
0: Well, in, in, in terms of building a lot, it brings up uh, my next question about mixed use. This particular show is not about retail, but we've had several retail shows uh, on the weekly take. And so what we're seeing in a lot of these open air retail sites is people putting multi-family on Outpads uh, to create that sort of virtual live, work, play environment. Uh, Matt, is that, is that happening? And is that the future of multifamily and suburban environments? Well, we
1: know that retail, especially walkable retail, is absolutely an amenity from the perspective of the renter. If they can walk out their front door and access the bars, the restaurants and the shopping, they pay for that. They, they are absolutely happy to pay for that. And so uh, when we think about suburban, we're not really talking about greenfield developments much Uh, When we when we do, we're we're really talking about uh, developments that that do have some mixed use component to them uh, that give those those residents uh, access to some of that retail experience. And we're seeing that trend develop more and more. And when we look at where developers are putting their capital and putting their their shovels in the ground, there's always been a disproportionate number of, of units being built and developed in suburban America. It's also true that there's been a growing concentration of urban development, particularly downtown, but it's still just a quarter of all units being delivered each year. There's a tremendous uh, number of units being built in the suburbs, and a growing number of them are identifying, yeah, the non-asset-specific amenities that that residents are looking for.
0: So, Rick, as you know, uh, building vertical multifamily in suburban areas uh, isn't easy. Um, There's a, a... Probably, well, it's not easy anywhere, but particularly many of these suburban areas that have uh, zoning rules that don't allow you to go vertical. Uh, But at the same time, many of them have uh, open air retail that's underperforming. Um, So, my question for you is are you looking to buy maybe some of these uh, open air retail as a covered land play in order to build multifamily? Are you building on the outpads? Uh, And then a related question, is there other uses for these like single-family rental?
2: Well, I think the answer is absolutely, uh, because people are densifying even the suburban areas with these retail areas. We've developed about $5 billion worth of multifamily and bought about $3 billion in the last seven or eight years. And we definitely look for the work live, play, when we're looking at sites either for buy or or build, we're looking for where's the retail, is it walkable, what's the transportation situation, where do the people work, and how that all interplays with with the, the whole concept of uh, location, location, location. And it doesn't necessarily mean in CBDs, it means in the nodes where All those activities are because people do want to be able to live, work, and play in the same place, and that or within close proximity. They definitely don't want to drive. Hearing
1: you describe that, Rick, it it reminds me that we at CBRE we we really started to rethink this the the, even the idea of urban versus suburban. It's such a continuum of very very urban to very very suburban, and uh, it's hard to distinguish where urban stops and suburban begins nowadays.
0: As part of that there is a new competitor, or I would say a newish competitor to multifamily, which is single family rental uh, and built to be single family rental, full communities. Uh, Do you see that as a competitor to you, Rick, or as a compliment? Uh, I don't see it as a
2: competitor at all, uh, because if you look at the single family rental market, it 's about the same size as the multifamily rental markets twenty two million uh, single family homes rented in America today. Uh, the difference is that multifamily is more institutionalized with companies like Camden somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent of all multifamilies owned by public companies and other institutions yet in single family it 's only about two percent so uh, when you think about single family rental. Uh, it's a different demographic that rents a single family home 50 square feet. It's more urban than a single family. And the single family properties are more like 1,800 feet, 2,000 feet. So it's a, I think it's a really interesting business. And as a matter of fact, we have Two uh, single family rental developments that were starting in, in 2022 that are purpose built, 188 units and one in Houston on 15 acres. Uh, we think it's a great complement to our business, uh, and we don't think it's a competitive uh, set at all.
0: I find it very interesting, Rick, because I, uh, well, since you've been in the REIT business for 29 years, uh, you know that many of the REITs are trying to be as pure play, quote unquote, as possible. Uh, and you're now expanding your definition of uh, pure play to be housing, rental housing. Is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. We have tested
2: other types. For example, we've been in the student housing business, we've been in the age-restricted business, and those two those are definitely driven by different things and the residents are, are very different than the marker rate multifamily, but single family is a different animal. It, it, it's very similar to multifamily. The biggest issue that I've had with it over the years is that uh, I didn't want to own uh, disparate properties all over the place. But the idea of, of purpose-built uh, subdivisions that are 100% rental that we own, that we can run the way we run a multifamily bu- uh, building, uh, makes a lot of sense.
0: Matt, let's talk about cap rates for just a moment. Uh, multifamily cap rates for the best product out there are squarely in the threes. And, it, and yes, a few have traded with a two handle on it. Um, is that sustainable? Uh, in in the environment that we're in today, a lot of people talk about inflation uh, or other risk factors, um, or is this a secular change of how multifamily will be priced? You know, we just uh, underwent uh, our quarterly underwriting survey
1: of uh, prime multifamily assets across most major U.S. cities, and we found exactly that. Uh, Texas leads consistently with the lowest going in underwritten cap rates, uh, somewhere between a 275 and a 3 Uh, Most markets, as you said, squarely in the threes, only a couple still at a four to four and a quarter. Um, It is sustainable with a few caveats. And the one I would make first is that uh, these incredibly tight cap rates, they tell us a lot about investor appetite and and investor demand. But they also tell us something about uh, the underwritten rent growth assumptions that are going into this. And I say that because if you take a 3% cap rate today— all right, and it's a 98% occupied building or even higher, and you go to your software that, that helps you manage this property, it's going to tell you to expect 15% rent growth over the next 12 months. And if you bake in okay, that 15% growth in NOI, if your occupancy remains stable and, and operating expenses remain stable, which is maybe a little bit of an assumption with the inflation going on. But um, what that implies is that a year from now, Your cap rate looks more like a three and a half when you've gotten that big jump in NOI. And so in some ways, these buyers are able uh, to go in aggressively on cap rates uh, with the assumption that they're going to be able to push rents. Now that, uh, I think, as Rick said earlier, and I would agree with, that party isn't over, but the momentum is going to decelerate slightly. We expect closer to 7% rent growth uh, this year nationally. Some markets will outperform. Others will continue to lag. But if we take some of the wind out of that sail, uh, I think we might see potentially a,
0: a little bit of an upward pressure there on those aggressive cap rates. So, Matt, let me try to sum up your answer. Your answer is essentially the fundamentals were so good in 21, and they're going to be exceptional in 22, probably not as strong as 21. But because rent growth is so good, it's going to counterbalance any changes That we're seeing in the capital markets particularly the rise in the cost of debt to the point where while we might have upward pressure on cap rates we're not going to see upward movement in cap rates is that a fair way to put it matt it is and spence you're a capital markets guy i want to turn this around and ask you what do you think well matt i'm glad you asked uh, because i speak to our debt and structured finance teams every day i speak to our clients every day and this is what they're doing first of all from a debt and structured finance perspective we're seeing clients Number one, do more floating rate debt. Number two, do lower leverage debt. And number three, we are seeing some clients willing to accept some negative leverage in the near term, knowing that the rent growth will make it positive in the short term within the next year or so. Will we see somewhat smaller bidding pools in the near term? We will because some of our buyers are high leverage uh, and that's the only way that they can operate. But putting those buyers aside, we believe that the institutional capital marketplace is so deep that while, yes, I agree with you, Matt, there will be upward pressure on cap rates, there will not be upward movement on cap rates in the multifamily sector. So, Rick, I'd love to get your point of view on this.
2: Well, the way we look at it when we think about buying or building today is that we're a long-term owner, right? So if I happen to miss the market uh, and an entry point or a recessionary scenario that happens – Uh, it'll recover at some point, right? And so uh, our cost of capital has gone down along with everybody else's cost of capital. And then with the wall of capital that's out there, that's what's driven these cap rates to where they are. But when you look at uh, the growth rates that you get, as Matt pointed out, your cap rate and your cash-on-cash returns go up pretty substantially. I'll give you an example. Last year, we bought $650 million of real estate Mostly at the beginning of the year, the last one we bought was in the fall, but uh, we we invested uh, in two properties in Nashville at a mid-three cap rate. And today, after 15 or 20% growth, it's a four and some change today in terms of cap rates. So I think the cap rates will stay low until you do have a deceleration of rent growth when people can't make their math work. Um, From an inflation perspective, it's interesting because... When you think about multifamily, since we reprice our, our leases every single night, and our average lease is about 14 months, so we're going to turn over the whole portfolio within a year, we are a pretty good inflation hedge, assuming that supply and demand stays in balance. Because if supply and demand gets out of balance and you have too much supply, then inflation really doesn't help you. And, and then you have a, a real issues about what cash flows really are.
1: And I would say our expectation is for supply and demand to remain in balance. If we thought about the, the what could bring on a slowing of that rent growth normally, right, I would appeal to classical economics. I would say let's examine the supply and demand dynamics. You look at last year, record-setting numbers. Surely there's going to be an exceptional supply response to that, but we're not seeing it, all right? Supply is healthy, what's under construction and what we're tracking today, but it's manageable, all right? And in fact, based on permitting, uh, and some pretty consistent trends. We expect a 15% drop in starts this year when compared to last year. And so it really falls on the demand side in terms of tea leaves, Spencer. We expect demand to remain fairly healthy and to more or less keep pace with supply, keep occupancies above 96% uh, over the near and medium term. So it's a good picture for multifamily.
2: When you think about supply too, you have the supply chain disruptions and uh, uh, labor issues. So even properties that start today are going to take a lot longer to build. We'll uh, start $500 million this year in new new starts, and uh, we have about a billion three behind that. And we've added 60 to 120 days to all of our schedules, plus 1% inflation per month as a result of the labor shortage and supply chain uh, problems that we all face today.
0: The question I was asked uh, on CNBC the other day is, do I put the shovel in the ground today, or do I wait for a year from now when inflation, uh, many of us, we are one of them, believe inflation is going to calm down? My answer is today. And my answer is today because notwithstanding the fact you may have lower costs of goods a year from now, your labor costs are going to be higher and your cost of capital is going to be higher. Do um, you share that point of view, Matt? I certainly do. Yes.
2: I do as well. I, I absolutely uh you know when you think about it like i said before we're getting 1% per month so call it 12% in a year right so if i put a shovel in the ground today uh, i know that my cost is going to be uh, less than it is going to be in the future if i wait a year and so at the end of the day you end up with rents are going to be what they're what they are whenever you deliver whether it's a year from now or 2 years from now and so i'd rather have a lower cost going in uh, than wait to start a property in a year or so and that's always been our view and You know, slowing down when you're in a process
0: of of building always costs you more money. I'm going to ask a wrap up question. Uh, I'll start with you, Matt. So, Matt, uh, you are our leader of multifamily and you've covered other sectors as well. So let's fast forward now four or five years. Looking back, what do you think multifamily is going to look like five years from now in terms of the number of units, some of the challenges and opportunities it might face? Well, I think it's gonna
1: look a lot like it does today. It's gonna be a little bigger and badder. I think we're gonna add uh, several hundred thousand more units across the country. But I think the trends are pretty sticky. And I think developers have got their thumb on the pulse of of what renters are looking for. And I think Rick made that abundantly clear today. And that's from physical asset and and location. A lot of what we've talked about, urban, suburban, and and where in the U.S. I also think it's going to look very similar from an investment perspective. I think we'll continue to see a a growing diversification of the sources of capital chasing multifamily. Uh, We we saw uh, several new Uh, folks enter the top 10 list for the most active investors last year. But by and large, it's a pretty diverse group uh, spread across the globe. Uh, Obviously, a heavy uh, influence here from domestic investment and rents will be a little higher, you know, and there's no way around it. And uh, we just hope that wages uh, keep up enough anyway to keep that housing affordability uh, in check. And I think as long as uh, the population continues to show a preference for these lower cost, but vibrant Sunbelt and uh, Southeast markets, I think we're gonna to continue to see a balance in demand uh, that keeps that affordability in check.
0: So Rick, same question to you, but I'm gonna add a twist to it. The question I'm gonna ask you is about retrofit in the next five years. Look, we've had episodes on this show several times about the future of office, we're bullish on it, but there is a split of CBD versus BBD, as we discussed. But how much retrofit do you see in the next five years? And does that create an opportunity for Camden?
2: The question of five years out, you know, I agree with Matt, it's going to be, apartment's going to be great for the next five years. On the issue of adaptive reuse for office, where you take office and and turn it into multifamily, uh, you know, I've tried to do that for years. The challenge is that, Office floor plates are larger. It's more complicated. And and by you're better off with a piece of land as opposed to an office building being adapted. Now, in some cases, they will be adapted. But uh, I think it's more difficult to doing that than you would think. Uh, and I've challenged my teams to look at it and to try to figure it out. But every time we have looked at a building, it's just easier to uh, and and more cost-effective, because uh, you, you have all these sort of constraints that an office building has, and that constraint tends to be costly, and then you end up with floor plates that don't look good, or units that are kind of wacky, and that kind of thing. So, I would love to see it, but uh, but I'm not sure it's going to happen.
0: What about hotels? Uh, there was some talk when hotel rooms were shutting down in New York and elsewhere that that might re- represent an opportunity.
2: Yeah, hotel hotels are are better are a better uh, deal. And as a matter of fact, we we uh, rehabbed a hotel in D.C. two blocks from the uh, White House, and it's a wonderful property uh, and a and a great uh, historic rehab that we did in a hotel. I think hotels are definitely easier. Uh, than office buildings because they were designed for people to live in, right? As opposed to an office building has big wide floor plates and no balconies and uh, just more difficult to adapt to a residential unit.
0: Great. So uh, on behalf of the Weekly Take, we had a great conversation today about uh, multifamily with Rick Campo, chairman and CEO of Camden, one of the largest publicly traded reach in the multifamily space. Rick, terrific job and thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Vince. And then we have Matt Vance, my friend, colleague, and America's Head of Multifamily Research. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you. For more on the multifamily sector and on our show, please visit our website, cbre.com slash theweeklytake. Also, please remember to share the show and share your feedback with us. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll be back next week with a special conversation we recorded at the recent CBRE Institute conference in Arizona. I sat down with futurist Erica Orange, who shared her unique view on the future of work and real estate and her simple mission to help make people smarter about what they do An outlook and insights you won't want to miss. We look forward to you joining us for that next week. And of course, we thank you for joining us now. I'm Spencer Levy, Be smart, be safe, be well.